to all those who participate to make that, this service happen all the time to Sally and especially those in the sound booth and the, you know, and the PowerPoint. That's the most thankless job. And people ignore you until something goes wrong, right? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, people know that there's somebody back there. Well, I appreciate it. So this week I mentioned is a special Shabbat called Shabbat Parah. Shabbat Parah is always before the beginning of the month of Nisan. It is named after the special maftir, the special additional reading from Numbers 19, which is added to our normal cycle of Torah readings today and describes the process for sacrificing the red heifer. We read in Numbers 19, And the Lord spoke unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, This is the statute of the Torah which Hashem has commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. And they are to bring a red heifer, faultless, without blemish, and upon which never came a yoke. And you shall give it unto Eli Eliezer, the Kohen, and it shall be brought outside of the camp and slain before him. And Eliezer the priest shall take some of her blood with his finger and sprinkle it toward the front of the tent of meeting seven times. And the heifer shall be burnt in his sight. Her skin, her flesh, and her blood with her dung shall be burnt. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast it into the midst of the burning heifer. This portion is always read before the beginning of the, of the Jewish month of Nisan. So the question is, why? What is, there are two months you should always know, even if you don't remember all the other ones. Nisan, why? What is important in the month of Nisan? Pesach, right? Passover. And uh, on the biblical cycle, it's the new year, right? But for the new year, the civil new year, and the way that we count years, Rosh Hashanah is the new year, but it's the religious year. So what's the other holiday, that the other uh, month everybody should know? Cheshvan. And why Cheshvan? Because it's the one that all the high holidays fall in, right? Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. All right. I'm sorry, it's not Cheshvan. It's <laughs> Tishrei. I don't know. Somebody said Cheshvan, and I just went with it. It's Tishrei. <laughs> Elul is the month leading up to it. And Tishrei, Tishrei is the one that everybody knows. Cheshvan is the one that's, that Hanukkah falls in. So it's also a great month, but Tishrei is the one that I was thinking of. But my brain has already moved on to something else. So in biblical times, in biblical times, every person was required to bring a Korban Pesach, a Passover sacrifice on the eve of Passover, and this was to be eaten during the Seder. However, only people who were ritually pure were able to partake of it. Therefore, right before the month of Nisan, the month in which Passover falls, a public announcement was made that everyone must purify themselves and be extremely careful not to become ritually impure before Passover. Otherwise, they could not eat of the Seder, right? This is why this is so important and why it's always before Pesach. It's the one holiday. Passover is the one holiday that if 
it's so important that if you were not able to observe it, there's a makeup test, right? <laughs> that there is a second Passover. Does anybody know that? So later, it's a month after Pesach, but it's only one day rather than the full. And so if for some reason that you were away on a journey in which you couldn't observe Pesach, or which you were ritually impure in order to eat of the Pesach, then there is a makeup day. And it's the only, this is in biblical times, not today. It was the only time on the calendar you could not be a vegetarian. If you were Jewish, if you were, if you were not Jewish, it, it, you know, it wasn't a, a, as obligatory to you. But if, for those who were Jews, it says, if you do not eat of the Passover, you are cut off from your people, which means you are exiled from God. This is why? There is a makeup that if you couldn't participate in the Pesach, then you had to be able to make it up to stay in the presence of God. Therefore, right before the month of Nisan, we needed to go through a process in which we became ritually pure again. Now, I know in one of the readings we read that I really hate, <laughs> or I should say strongly dislike, Translations that use the words clean and, or, uh, clean and not clean, right? Because the problem is these concepts, uh, when you use the word clean and unclean, it makes it sound like disgusting versus good, right? Instead of understanding that ritual purity was a, a spiritual state, it didn't have to do with being disgusting or whatever, because someone could actually be doing something that is holy and still be in a state or become in a state of ritual impurity. That's why we need to understand that the Hebrew words tamay and tahor, which we use to often translate as clean and unclean, really means ritually able to do something and ritually unable to do something. Does that make sense? Ritually able versus ritually unable. It's a ritual state, not anything to do with being gross or disgusting or some kind of... Uh, now, there are physical things that could make you ritually impure, but that's a whole other discussion. So the red heifer, this red cow, this calf, it was the parat aduma was to, that was to be chosen specifically for this sacrifice. It had to be completely red according to the rabbis, that even one hair that was not red was enough to disqualify it. It was, now, the, nowadays, there's, they still have a difficult time finding a red heifer, and, you know, and there's I, I, so many hairs that it can have that is not red in order to make it ritually pure, but so far they haven't really found one. They think that they have, and whenever they think they do, it ends up being not kosher for this ritual. So it's got to be completely red. It's supposed to be unblemished to mima. And it is not allowed to have any kind of a defect, which is called mum in Hebrew. And it's never to have borne a yoke, meaning you cannot have put it to work already. It had to be slaughtered outside of the sanctuary. This was the only sacrifice that was not performed on the altar. This was done even outside of the tent. The Kohen Gadol, the high priest, had to sprinkle its blood seven times towards the tent of meeting. And then they would build a fire placed the entire heifer on it, and it was to be burned completely whole with wood and hyssop tied together with a red string and burned in the middle of it to create this uh, an even greater pleasant aroma. The ashes were then divided into three parts. So you had this whole 
heifer that was burned. And then it was the ashes themselves, once they were crushed down, then they were divided into three parts. One was for what's called tumatmet, for use of purifying those who had come in contact with the dead body. A second portion was set outside of the sanctuary for safekeeping. And then a third portion was used in the future to mix with the ashes of another red heifer. It's interesting. It's like starter dough in sourdough, right? That there's, there's starters that are like over 100 years old because they just keep using parts in order to make more and more and more dough. And then that starter becomes part of the next starter that becomes part of the next starter. That's the same that happened with the ashes of the red heifer, is that when you started to run out, then you had this one portion set aside to then mix in with the ashes of a new heifer so that what you're burning was always the ashes that came from Moses and Aaron and Eliezer. According to Jewish tradition, from Moses until the destruction of the temple by the Romans in 70 CE, there were only nine such red heifers used for this special ceremony. That this ceremony discussed in Numbers 19 only happened nine times. So how did it work? The ashes of the red heifer were then mixed with water. Then they would sprinkle it on a person who had become ritually impure on the third or the seventh day of their impurity. And at sundown on the seventh day, the person would then become ritually pure again. So that's how it worked. You mixed the ashes with water, sprinkled it on the person, and then after seven days, they would become ritually pure. Now, this entire ritual... The process of the red heifer is what we call the quintessential chok. If you remember uh, from a couple weeks ago, I talked about there are different kinds of commandments, the chukim and the mishpatim. Mishpatim are commands that make total sense to us, right? You shouldn't murder somebody. That makes sense. I can think of lots of good reasons why you shouldn't murder. Don't steal. I can think of a lot of good reasons why you shouldn't steal. But then there are other commandments in the Torah that make absolutely no sense from a rational perspective. I'm not saying there's no reason for them. I'm saying from a rational perspective, these are the, the ones that they all come from God, but these are totally from God because from a human perspective, they don't make sense. This is one of those. It's the quintessential chok. This ritual of the red heifer was actually one of the most important rituals in biblical times. Without this ritual, there would be no sanctuary. There would be no purification for the priests. There would also be no way for a person who became ritually impure to become pure again. So this is why without a temple and without this process, there is no person alive that is technically in a ritual state of purity. Not saying purity in the sense of spiritually through the atonement of Yeshua. I'm saying in order to resurrect, if, if we so intended, the sacrificial system, because you would need to start first by this process. After you have everything, and that's what they did in the Bible, after they did this, after they made all the stuff, then Numbers 19 comes along. You're supposed to do this to purify the sanctuary, to purify the high priest so that they can get started with the entire process. Does that make sense? And yet, the para aduma, the red heifer, represents the quintessential chok, this divine decree without any seeming rationale. Why? Because as the Midrash highlights, it highlights the paradox of this ritual. Its ashes purify someone who has become ritually impure. But 
by participate, participating in the process, you yourself become ritually impure. Do you understand? So it is only by the ashes of a red heifer that you become repurified. But when you're involved in the process, you become ritually impure. So the, when they did this, when they burned the red heifer, the high priest and those who participated in it became ritually impure, and they were unclean until evening. And they had to be sprinkled with the ashes that they had just prepared, right? And yet you would use those ashes in the water mixture in order to purify somebody else who had become ritually impure. The Sfat Emet, one of our commentators, explains that impurity from the dead is a function of mortality, which entered the world as a result of the primordial sin of Adam who ate from the tree of knowledge. Therefore, we needed an answer to this. Therefore, the primary person, purpose of the ashes of the red heifer were to cleanse us from ritual impurity. So there are two primary uses for the ashes of the red heifer. They were used, as I mentioned earlier, to ritually purify the tabernacle, its furnishings, and those who served were purified and ritually cleansed to serve in the presence of God. And so it was used in order to dedicate everything to God. And then the other reason for the ashes of the red heifer were to, were, they were used to purify someone who became ritually impure through tumat met, meaning contact with a dead body. Nechama Leibowitz points out that this is the only rite of purification for such a sin. In, Le in Likutei Halachot, Rabbi Nachman explains that this special portion is read after Purim, right? It's always read after Purim and before the month of Nisan. Why? Because in the course of our victory over Haman, over Amalek, boo, <laughs> we, become, we become defiled through contact with death and evil and therefore need to be purified. So the reason why we do this after Purim and before Pesach is it's more than just an individual ritual impurity. It has to do with the impurity of the entire people of Israel. According to Rabbi Tzvi Lashem, humanity's desire to be all-knowing like God, placing the value of knowledge over that of faith, led to our downfall, bringing death and impurity into the world. Ritual purity comes through the willingness to serve Hashem even in, in a reality permeated by doubts and confusion. However, is there really something to this ritual of mixing ash and water to cleanse impurity? I'm just going to be the, you know, the, devil, the devil's advocate, the skeptic for a moment. Okay, so God told us to do some crazy ritual. And you know, a lot of people would say, oh, this is just ancient mumbo jumbo, right? Interestingly, according to noted research chemist, Dr. Robert Kunin, this mixture of granular and powdered activated carbon and bone char is capable of removing practically all known toxins, viruses, and pollutants, including radioactivity. And it should also be noted that the components of ash and the basic method of treating water as described in numbers is essentially the only method currently approved by the US government today. So if you want to purify, all of us, how many of you have a Brita water filter? What is in your, it's charcoal, right? It's the ashes, it's that charcoal, which is then used to purify even water to this very day. Although the rabbis often describe the reasoning for the ritual of the red heifer as a mystery, 
The Ramban, Nachmanides, offers an explanation of his own. Listen to this. Because all humanity, through its choices, became sinful, their corpses are impure, and those who touch them become impure. In order to remove this impurity, water mixed with ashes of a red heifer must be sprinkled upon them. Thus, the ritual purifies them by removing from them association with sin. Now, the Ramban makes an interesting observation in what I just read. One, sin leads to death. No brainer, right? <laughs> and then death becomes the only source for life and the removal of sin, right? It takes death in order to overcome death. The ritual of the red heifer, therefore, becomes a primary principle of the Brit Chadashah. The best example of this is Yeshua's own sacrificial death. We read in Romans 3, by God's grace without earning it, all are granted the status of being considered righteous before him. Through the act of redeeming us from our enslavement to sin that was accomplished by the Messiah Yeshua. God put Yeshua forward as the kapara, as the atonement for sin through his faithfulness in respect to his bloody sacrificial death. This vindicated God's righteousness because in his forbearance he had passed over with neither punishment nor remission, the sins people had committed in the past, and it vindicates his righteousness in the present age by showing that he is righteous himself and is also the one who makes people righteous on the ground of Yeshua's faithfulness. Sin leads to death, and death be then becomes the only source for life and the removal of sin. Just as only the death of the red heifer was able to remove ritual impurity, so too Yeshua's own sacrificial death is the only source for true life and the permanent removal of impurity caused by sin. In the Brit Chadashah reading today, we read in Romans, I'm sorry, in Hebrews 9, but when the Messiah appeared as the Kohen Gadol, as the high priest of the good things that are happening already, then through the greater and the more perfect tent, which is not man-made, that is, it is not of this created world, he entered the holiest place once and for all. And he entered not by the means of blood and goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus setting people free forever. For if sprinkling ceremonial, ceremonially unclean persons with the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a red heifer restores their outward purity, then how much more the blood of the Messiah who through the eternal spirit offered himself to God as a sacrifice without blemish, Gesundheit, will purify our conscience from works that lead to death so that we can serve the living God. Amen. This is powerful, and there's so much I wish that we could unpack in that passage. But it says, just as the ceremonial sprinkling of an unclean person with the ashes of a red heifer restores their outward purity... And then he's doing a classic rabbinic argument by saying, call the chomer, then how much more so if this is true? Understand this argument of the call the chomer argument. If this is true, then this is even more true, right? If this process of the ashes of a red heifer did, listen to this, did purify somebody, it did. But it wasn't the totality of what Yeshua's sacrifice did. If this ritually purified somebody, then call the Chomer, how much more so the blood of the Messiah? 
Because it is not just a one-time thing that has to happen over and over and over again. It is a one-time thing that purifies us forever. Today on this Shabbat, I'm wrapping up. <laughs> Today on this Shabbat, parah, we focus on a cow. And although this may not make sense to our rational minds, in the modern age, there are significant reasons. This quintessential chok teaches us that it is not about us, but about Hashem. It's not for us to rationally figure out because it is not intended, because it is intended to be a mysterious work of God alone. And the purpose of the red heifer was to bring forth purification and life where there seems to be only death. So too Yeshua, our Messiah, brings forth purification and life where there seems to be only death. And as my friend Rabbi Dr. Carl Kinbar comments, the sacrifice of the Purah is the only one that takes place outside the temple. This shows that even the holiness of the temple is dependent on a sacrifice made outside of its courts. Sounds like the one who suffered outside the gates followed in this pattern. Meaning, just as the Purah Aduma, just as the red heifer was sacrificed outside of the camp, so too Yeshua was sacrificed outside of the walls of the city. Yeshua is our great high priest, and it is through him that we have access to Hashem with a clean conscience and purified from that which leads to death. So as Hebrews states, we can serve a living God. With Shabbat Parah, we are now only one month away from Passover. Start freaking out now, right? Because <laughs> there's a lot to do in preparation. Shabbat parah always precedes Passover because it is our call, hidden within the annual Torah reading cycle, to get ready for this very important moed, this appointed time. We know that Passover is one of the Shalosh Regalim, the three pilgrimage festivals that one was required to go to Jerusalem. It is the ultimate reminder built into our, our ritual lives of Hashem's deliverance from bondage preserving us in times of duress and giving us a purpose and a destination for our lives. As we approach the month of Nisan and the observance of Passover, let's get rid of all the chametz in our lives. Let's prepare ourselves by getting rid of those things which are holding us back. Are you ready to be cleansed? Are you ready to move from death to life and prepare yourself for Passover? The opportunity is coming to once again leave Egypt. I don't know what Egypt is for you this year, but all of us have one, and we need to be delivered from it. The question is, will you be ready to go? Avinu Shabbat our Father in heaven, I come before you on this Shabbat parah, this Shabbat of the red heifer, as we recall not just a sacrifice that happened in the past, but the ultimate sacrifice that is still applicable in the present and into the future through our Messiah, Yeshua. God, I pray that as we prepare ourselves, as we begin to clean our homes of chametz and all the stress that goes along with having all of our family over and this preparing this huge meal, that we would also be focused on cleaning out the chametz in our own lives. Because any little tiny amount ends up not only affecting the rest of us, but the rest of our community. 
This is why Paul writes, get rid of the littlest amount of comets, because don't you know that the littlest amount of comets can affect the entire loaf? Help us to prepare ourselves to come before you so that we can serve a living God. We pray all of this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Please rise with me as we seal everything that God is doing within us this morning with the words of the Elenu. Alenu la shabach la adon hakol la tet gedula leotze breshit shelo asanu kegoye haaratzot velo samanu kemishpochot haadama shelo sam helkenu kahem vegoralenu kahol hamonam. Vanachnu korim, umishtachavim, umodim. Lifne melech, machem lachim, hakadosh baruchu. Therefore, God also highly exalted Messiah and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name belonging to Yeshua, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Yeshua the Messiah is Adonai to the glory of God the Father. Ushemo, Ushemo, Ushemo Echad. On that day, Adonai will be one, and his name shall be one. So I want to invite those who are in mourning and those observing a yard site to remain standing with the word, for the words of the mourner's Kaddish. Yitgadal v'yitkadash shemei rabah ve'elma divra chirute v'yamlech mochute v'yitzmach purkane v'yikarem shichei v'chayachon v'yomechon v'chayi d'chol beit Yisrael v'agalau v'zman kariv v'imru amen Yehei shemei rabah mevorach le'olam u'lalmei o'maya yitbarach v'yishtabach v'yitbar v'yitromam v'yitnaseh Vietadar, Vietale, Vietalal, Shme de Kudisha, Brehu, Le Ela Minko Birchata Vishirata, Tushbehata Venechemata, Damiran, Bielma, Vimru, Amen. Yehe Shlama Rabba Min Shemaya, Vichayim, Alenu, Vialko Yisrael, Vimru, Amen. O say Shalom, Bimromav, Hu Yaase Shalom, Alenu, Vialko Yisrael, Vimru, Amen. May he who makes peace in the heavenly realms make peace for all of us, for all of Israel and all the nations of the world, and let us say, Amen. You may be seated, and I'd like to call uh, the chair of our board of directors, Barbara Miner, forward for some announcements. There's lots happening, so if you'll pull out your bulletins.
Well, we have a lot going on. It's a busy time of year. So.